0: The scriptures of the New Testament, we have uh, three passages, uh, first of all, Matthew 5, uh, page 969, and we're reading uh, the verses uh, in the teaching of our Lord uh, that deal with uh, divorce in all of, uh, well, in the two sections in the gospel, and then Paul's picking up of that in Corinthians. Matthew 5, verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Then Matthew 19. Uh, where Jesus is asked a question about divorce at page 986, Matthew 19 and verse 1. Page 986. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul indicates that he has the teaching of our Saviour in mind as he writes in verse 10, um, page 1148, that Paul writes to the having-married. I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain uh, unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her unbelieving husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Amen. I would ask Jenny and Dylan to come to the front, please. We continue our consideration of 1st Corinthians uh, chapter 7. uh, Following the major divisions of the chapter as Paul writes it. Already we have seen how Paul commands Christians not to abstain from sexual relations within marriage. Verses 2 to 7. Last time we noted Paul's teaching to widowers and widows. It is good to remain single, verse 8. However, if they do not have the gift of singleness, they must marry, rather than battle daily with unfulfilled and unabated sexual desire. That brings us to verse 10. And verse 10 begins with the word now, which uh, NIV doesn't always uh, translate And this marks a third question regarding marriage that Paul now answers in verses 10 to 16. Some Christians in Corinth are dissolving their marriages either by long-term separation or divorce. Like the previous two groups, they too have been influenced by the pressure group within the corinthian congregation whose mantra is verse 1b it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman and so there are believers in marriages uh, two believers and they are separating they are demarrying if there's such a word uh, and those are the situations that Paul deals with in verses 10 and 11. And then in verses 12 to 16, he deals with a slightly different aspect of that. It's where there is a mixed marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian. Uh, and again, uh, believers uh, are breaking up those marriages In the light of this false teaching of verse 1b and their thinking is well if it's wrong for two Christians to unite their bodies uh, sexually then it's doubly wrong for me to do so as a Christian with a non-Christian. Now since we are dealing with issues here that are not as simply historic or archaic. But issues that affect believers and churches today, we're going to take this in bite-sized portions. This morning we're confining ourselves to verses 10 and 11. And The title of our sermon this morning is Be Transformed. Divorce and then Remarriage. We'll touch upon that within Christian marriages. And next week, we'll come then to divorce within and remarriage within mixed marriages, verses 12 to 16. Now, here in verses 10 and 11, Paul makes a single point. And his point is this this one point in our sermon today Christians must not divorce their believing spouses. Christians must not divorce their believing spouses. Paul writes now to the having married, I command, not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband or the husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain demarried, would be our translation, Tying in with the widowers uh, of um, a previous sermon. Or be reconciled to the husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. Paul actually by the way touches on this again in Romans chapter 7 verses 1 to 3. We're not looking at that this morning. But he says similar things. So you can look at that in your own reading. So Christians must not divorce their believing spouses. I want now in the rest of the exposition of these verses to show how Paul reaches that conclusion. Uh, first of all, Paul uses two verbs. And things are going up on the screen here this morning. Uh, because there's a little bit of a language here that you need to, to be able to follow. He uses two verbs to refer to what Christians are doing in Corinth. The first, um, which we meet in verse 10, 11, and then in verse 15, twice, um, has the basic meaning to separate or depart. To separate or to depart. It's a word that appears 13 times in the New Testament. And on six of those 13 times, it refers to the dissolution of Christian marriage. And four of those six are here. The other two uh, are in the passage that we read, Matthew 19, and this, the cross-reference, Mark chapter 10. The New King James translates... This verb consistently. The NIV doesn't. Verse 10, and so I'm going to give you the translation. A wife is not to depart or separate from her husband. Verse 11, but if she does depart. Um, verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. That's the use of this first verb. The second verb means to leave. To leave. It means to send away. It's uh, frequently used to forgive what God does with us in Christ. He sends away. He lets go. He forgives our sins and they leave. They're taken from us. It's a very common word. 130 times in the Gospels. With that whole range of meanings. To leave, to send away, to forgive. In the rest of the New Testament, in other words, Acts to Revelation, we find it 16 times. With, again, a range of meanings. But uh, more often meaning to send away or to leave than to forgive. And in this section of chapter 7... Paul uses it three times. And all the modern translations translate this verb as divorce. NIV, ESV, New King James. And so here's the way it's translated in our our translations. Verse 11, A husband is not to divorce his wife. Verse 12, Let him not divorce her. Verse 13, Let her not divorce him. So, we have two verbs. One uh, meaning to depart or separate. The other one which is translated consistently as divorce in our Bibles. The question now is, do the two verbs mean the same thing? Are they interchangeable? Or do they describe two ways in which Corinthians at or sorry Christians at Corinth are ending their marriages? Does depart, separate, the first verb, describe an informal act of separation, whilst the second verb leave, send away, divorce describe a formal process of divorce. When I read my English version, it leaves me with that impression. Because the, our English versions translate the first as separate depart and the second as divorce. I believe it is hard to make a case for the verb's meaning different things. It is hard to make a case for the two verbs meaning different things. Why do I say that? Well, because both verbs occur side by side in verse 10. And Paul writes each statement in which he uses the different verb in precisely the same way. And Paul in one makes a statement to the wife, and in the other makes a statement to the husband, as he has done throughout chapter 7. And we saw last time he does that 12 times in total. So here's the first verb, a wife is not to depart from her husband. Here's the second verb, a husband is not to divorce his wife. And so, I believe that appearing side by side in that kind of context, Paul is saying uh, the same thing by both verbs. He's not saying one thing to the wife and something different to the husband. He's saying, in effect, neither Christian may dissolve the marriage. Neither the husband nor the wife may dissolve the marriage. Having decided then that both verbs refer to the same thing, uh, to what uh, then we ant- want to ask the question, to what do they refer? Is it informal separation? Is that what the verbs together are to mean? Or is it formal divorce. And to answer that question we need to bring now to the fore um, the way Paul introduces his teaching. He introduces it with the words not I but the Lord. And by this phrase Paul does not mean that now as he sits writing this letter He has a direct word suddenly or a new word from the Lord for their situation as he writes to them. Rather he is saying what I write to you is what Jesus taught during his earthly ministry. In other words he reinforces what he's going to say to them by an effect Quoting uh, or paraphrasing Christ. So what did Jesus teach? Well we read Matthew 19. The parallel passage is Mark chapter 10. And there Jesus answered the question about divorce. And here's what he declared. What God has joined together let not man Separate, And the verb that Matthew uses and Mark uses is precisely the verb Paul uses in verse 10. When he says a wife is not to separate from her husband. Taking the parallel with Jesus, a wife is not to divorce her husband. And if we've said, if we conclude that neither, that both verbs mean the same thing, uh, the verb separate and the verb leave, then Paul is saying to the husband equally, do not divorce your wife. Paul, by using the same words as Jesus Let not man put asunder or let not man separate has divorce clearly in mind. Divorce then, that's the the language part this morning. So let's build upon that now by understanding the context of divorce in the world of Jesus' day and Paul's day. By Jesus' day, divorce was very common amongst the Jews. There were two schools of thought. There was a the school of Shammai, they were very strict and they allowed it only for a very narrow reason. We'll come back to that later. There was a the school of Heliel and they were liberals and they believed in easy divorce. That's the context against which Jesus was asked the question. In Matthew chapter 19. Is it right for a man to divorce his wife for anything? They were trying to draw him in to one side of the argument or the other. And then when we look at the context in which Paul found himself. The Greco-Roman world. Women woman could and did divorce their husbands. Women in particular. And Corinth seem to have fallen prey to the spurious teaching that the sexual relationship within marriage is sinful and the only way to avoid it is to demarry or divorce your husband. And so Paul, verse 10, addresses the wives first for the first time in this chapter. And I think it's striking and it's contextually relevant, when we go on in Corinthians, a lot of the issues in the Corinthian congregation revolved around the women. Head covering, and whatever they were saying in church services, and other issues, they revolved around the women. So I think there's something very deliberate that Paul is showing us here, that this was predominantly an issue where women but not exclusively, where women were divorcing their husbands, thinking it's wrong for us as Christians to be sexually involved. Therefore, the only way I can be sure that my husband won't want this is to separate from him and divorce him. So, to that group, notice Paul uses a very strong verb. I command. I command. He doesn't give advice. He doesn't say this is something you might want to do or here's an alternative that you might consider or here's a compromise. He says, I command a wife is not to depart from her husband. And then he puts it in aside and the end of verse 11 is the other part of the command. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. It's a command that cuts both ways. So what should a divorced, believing woman, if she's the primary uh, person that Paul has in mind here, and for that matter, a, believing, a divorced, believing man do, if she or he, and I'm going to stick with she now because it gets a bit complicated, accepts Paul's teaching when his letter is read In the church at Corinth. And if this woman realizes. You know I was wrong. I shouldn't have listened. To that pressure group. That super spiritual group. In the congregation. Who said. That the sexual relationship. In marriage is sinful. And the only sure way to avoid it. Is to divorce your husband. What is that woman now to do? Should she say, well, I can start all over again. I need to be open to marrying another man and marrying a second time. Um, well, Paul gives a very clear instruction. Let her remain unmarried and it's that word that we had in verse 8 for the widowers let her remain demarried married. because if you've been married there's no such thing as being unmarried it doesn't make sense but you can't go back to what you were before uh, so we're going to use whether it's an english word or not the phrase demarried and um I justify that in where there was mobilisation in the First World War and then you were demobbed after the end uh, of the war. So, um, and every day people are making up words. So, (laughs) verse 11. Let her remain demarried or be reconciled to her husband. There are actually three options she has. Our verse at initial reading you might think there's two with well, there's three the first is she can choose to stay demarried Paul doesn't force her to go back to the husband that she's left but the second option that she might think of doing is ruled out which is that she cannot marry a different man. It for, she, Paul forbids the believing woman divorced from her husband. Um, through the false teaching to enter a second marriage. On what basis we might ask. Well clearly on the basis of the teaching of Jesus. Because we saw there in Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 19, that only if a husband has committed adultery may a divorced woman marry a second time. And Paul saw, or sorry, Jesus taught that if it happened under any other circumstance, then adultery is the result breach of the seventh commandment because the first marriage in the eyes of God has been wrongly annulled. And the one that they would marry would also commit adultery because they are getting involved with someone who is still married in the eyes of God. So she's the option, remain demarried She does not have the option to marry a new man and form a new marriage. The third option is, be reconciled. Be reconciled. And that's um, the only option that Paul sees. If a woman who has divorced on the basis of the false teaching, and she wants to marry... The only person she can marry is the man she married before and divorced earlier. Be reconciled. It's a very, very strong word in Scripture. Paul uses it a further five times in the New Testament. Romans 5, verse 10, twice. And then Second Corinthians 5, verse 18, 19, and 20. And in each case, it describes What happens in salvation? We who are divorced from God by our sin are reconciled to God in Christ. And so in marriage, those divorced from their spouse by um, sin, by false teaching... Or by some other mistaken basis or ground other than adultery on the part of their husband, they enter into a new relationship with their partner or their previous husband by being reconciled. They're reconciled. And these two options would apply equally to any husband. Who had divorced his wife? Sorry, these three options to any husband who had divorced his wife on the grounds of false teaching. That, as far as I can see, and as far as I can understand, is what Paul teaches regarding divorce and uh, remarriage uh, in Second Corinthians, and he directly links his teaching. Back to Christ. Now allowing that we have a further four verses to look at. In two weeks time. Covering divorce within a mixed marriage. What applications can we make from Paul's teaching on divorce within Christian marriages. And there are eight applications I want to make. So they're going to be short. But I've looked at them and I can't leave any of them out. First application is, let us realise there is a vast difference between how scripture views divorce and how society views divorce. In scripture, it is not a commandment. It is a concession. In society, it is seen as a right. Paul said, Moses permitted, allowed. But uh, Jesus went back to the beginning. And he said, that's not the way it was. That's not the way it should be. And so, in society today, many enter marriage with the thought, if marriage doesn't work out, divorce is the way out. As Christians, that is not how we are to think or approach marriage. Uh, we are to see it as a lifelong commitment that we make to one person till death us do part, as the marriage vows say, in better and worse, in sickness and in health, richer and poorer. But sadly, The divorce rate among professing Christians is not significantly different to what it is in society. The church today, in regard to marriage, divorce and remarriage, is too much conformed to the world. We need to be transformed by scripture. But then secondly, Jesus reminded his generation, and we're coming on to this matter of permission. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Matthew 19, verse 8. Jesus taught believers to keep their emphasis, their focus on marriage, not divorce. And young people and older people who are not married, if you should marry, it must be your objective not only to get married, if that is your gift, but to stay married. To stay married. Thirdly, when difficulties arise in a marriage, why should a Christian respond? Well, should we not begin with why God allowed divorce? In other words, he said, because of the hardness of your hearts. And should we not, when there's difficulties in our marriages, ask ourselves, ask each other, ask together the question, what hardness is there in my heart? What hardness is there in our hearts that sours our marriage? Because that inevitably always is the case. Selfishness. Neglect of one another. Impatience. Lack of love. Failure to submit to one another. Failure to listen to one another. And I could go on and on and on. You know the things that have troubled you in your marriage And that have troubled me in my marriage. And you are to proceed on the ground. The Lord requires me to work. To make it work. Whatever it takes. However hard it is. However long it takes. And if you can't achieve that by yourselves. Seek help from others. Other Christians. Other family members. Seek help from the elders within the church. Fourth application is this. In scripture, the grounds on which divorce is permitted are clearly and narrowly regulated. Clearly and narrowly regulated. In the Old Testament, Moses permitted divorce in God's name, on grounds of some uncleanness. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And then in the New Testament, Jesus allowed divorce only on the ground that one spouse had committed adultery, in which case the spouse not guilty of adultery could divorce and remarry we are living in a culture of easy divorce and wide divorce. British law grants divorce on any of five grounds. Adultery, unreasonable behaviour, desertion and um, after two years separation if the parties consent. And after five years' separation, if the parties do not consent. That's what's happening in our courts today and in our land. But despite what society does and offers, we have got to be those who say the word of God is our rule of faith and practice. And the Word of God shows the only possible ground for divorce and remarriage in our study today among Christians is adultery against us by our spouse. That brings us then, fifthly, even then when a spouse has committed adultery, the spouse not guilty of adultery within a christian marriage is not obliged to divorce the guilty he or she may follow the more difficult and demanding road of forgiveness and reconciliation to demonstrate the gospel to the church and to a broken world. For Christ the husband. Of believers in the church. Restores us and his church. From acts of great spiritual adultery. Against him. Sixth. We ask what counsel. Does the church give to believers. Believers who have obtained a divorce wrongly like those in Corinth today Christians may have been badly advised they may have been poorly taught they may be headstrong and persist regardless with divorce they may have caved into pressure from family or from others and fell for the spirit or fall for have fallen for the spirit of the age. So what would we say, what can we say to the Christian who's divorced wrongly, not because of adultery? Well, Paul is our model. And Paul gives us help. He does not insist that they go back to their spouse. They can remain demarried. He allows them to remain divorced. If she is divorced, let her remain unmarried. But equally, his command does not permit believers who obtained a divorce wrongly to enter a new marriage, as we've already seen. If they realize their divorce was a mistake and they desire marriage, the only option Paul gives. In the name of Christ, is to be reconciled to the husband, to the wife, you divorce? And that would be a powerful demonstration of the gospel as the power of God to work forgiveness and reconciliation before a broken world. That brings us then, seventhly. Paul uses the verb for divorce in 1 Corinthians 7. This word separate, the first verb that we saw, he uses it in Romans chapter 8. And he asks a really significant question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall divorce us from the love of Christ? We could translate it that way. And then he answers in verses 38 and 39 with a list of profound challenges that Christians face in life. And he declares then that none of them will be able to separate the same word, divorce us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No obstacle, no trial, no failure, no sin, Nothing in life, nothing in death will divorce the believer from the love of God. Now let's transfer that across to our marriages. You who are married, you face many challenges in your marriages. There is your remaining sin, uh, which is the chief challenge. And then there is busyness, and tiredness and pressure of work responsibilities with children sexual temptation and again we could add and add and add to that list those are the challenges to your marriages today and you need to take and I need to take Romans chapter 8 verse 35 and following and we need to ask the question who will divorce me from the love of my wife what will divorce me from the love of my life and you need to declare to each other with Paul no, nothing neither remaining sin nor busyness nor sexual temptation outside marriage nor responsibilities towards children nor any other thing will divorce you my wife, my husband, from the love that we pledged the day we got married. That's what we've got to do. And finally, we need to ask the question which perhaps has been going through your mind. Why does the Lord define the ground of divorce so clearly and so daryllily? And why does the Lord say in Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce. Our children were forbidden to use the word hate as a regular part of speech because it's such a strong word. But it is a word that we can use and should use and the Lord uses it. I hate divorce. Why? Well, it is because Christian marriage pictures the relationship of Christ To his church. He is the groom. And you and I who believe. We are the bride. And what did he do for us? He gave himself. He gave himself. To the point of death. For us. And a husband. Husbands you are to give yourselves. To the point of death. For your wives. You are to be like Christ. So what happens when believer, believers divorce? Well, we send out an entirely wrong message to our children, to our wider family, to the church and to the world. For if marriage, albeit and perfectly, illustrates the selfless, sanctifying love of Christ for us, then divorce surely declares the Lord may divorce you. The Lord may grow tired of you. The Lord may grow weary of you. The Lord may decide he can no longer live with you, your faults and your weaknesses. And that's a monstrous chain of lies. What God has joined together in eternity Through election, cannot be separated, cannot be put asunder by anything. And in time, through marriage, God has joined you and your spouse together not to be put asunder through divorce. And we need to abide daily in the love of Christ and experience it as individuals in marriage and then be enabled daily to model love, that love of Christ to our spouses. And if you are not married this morning and you plan to be married, you too need to abide in the love of Christ now. And abide in that love of Christ. In marriage. And demonstrate that love of Christ. That he's demonstrated for you. So do you see why the Lord hates divorce? Because it says to people. God could divorce you. Put you out of his kingdom. Which he'll never do. And so. um, He speaks against it. And just as um, his relationship with his elect is solid, that's why God says when the two are joined together, they're one. And what God has joined together in marriage, let not man put asunder. Be transformed in your attitude to divorce or um, and remarriage. Amen.